Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Quobotas Podcast, the captain podcast that helps to begin with the end in mind. My name is Taylor Geiger, and I'm joined by Father Mark. Hey Father Mark. Yes you are. Yes you are. Yes, you are joined by me. You're welcome. <laughs> Present. I didn't say. I didn't say you're welcome. No, but it had the tone of that. You know, it had Present. the tone of that. Present. How are you doing, man? Good. And yourself? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I have a uh, uh, maybe. I don't know if it's a humble brag or not, but just something that I'm 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 a little proud of. Is there such thing as a humble brag? Uh, well, it's, it's that's a term. Is it? <laughs> it's a term. I don't. I, okay. I mean, if you're gonna, if you're gonna sit with the term. I mean, not really, right? I mean, like, it's a humble brag, meaning, like, like you want to bring it up, and, like, well, I'm going to be humble about it, but I also want to bring it up myself, unprompted, but, unsolicited. When, there, when, there, when there's a but that yeah. follows, 100%, it's usually 100%. what it is, you said before. <laughs> I was actually writing my paper, one of my papers the other day, and as I was writing it, I, I came across, like, I, I used the word but, and I was like, mm, I feel like that gives a, a negative connotation to what the, the point I'm trying to make here is. So, anyway, I had to back away from what that. What did you say instead? I don't remember. Perhaps. Just, I, I, I like that I, word. Perhaps. You do like that word. Do. You do use that word a decent amount. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I However. I realize that. Wow. Anyway, so back to my humble brag. Stop, stop trying to detract away from my from my humility so I can break. <laughs> yeah, that, that is exactly what I'm stop, doing. Stop trying to do that. It's so rude of you. How dare you? Um, uh, I uh, I during mass uh, I've been doing the thing with Sophia. Okay, where because uh, as I mentioned, Saint Francis uses the bells during the consecration. Mm-hmm. So I always tell her to listen for the bells, and then she points to her ear and she goes, "Listen." And she waits for the bells, and then when the bells come to us, <gasps> like that. But then I've been teaching her that after the bells, at least after the second bell, because they do the, the first bell during the apoclesis, um, there's a second after the second bell when the priest elevates the host. Um, I I was I was whispering, and I, was, I go, I'm gonna go. That's Jesus. I'm like, say hi, Jesus. And usually she goes, hi, Jesus. Like like, like super quietly, something like that, you know. And then same thing with the chalice. Uh, this past week though, like just, like just yesterday, well, for those people listening two days ago, uh, it was, uh, she, she yelled it. <laughs> it was, it was Did she do loud. this once before? <laughs> I don't know if she yelled it before or not, but she, this I time. I think I remember this story. Really? Cause I don't remember it being this loud. So maybe this okay. time it was louder, but this okay. time I was like, I'm like, look, did she say hi, Jesus? Hi, Jesus! <laughs> it's like, oh. It's like I was like I'm I'm happy for your enthusiasm, <laughs> but it's maybe if you t- taking it down a notch or two would be good. I would just so, be smiling from I'd just, I just be think, grinning from ear to ear yeah. if I was the priest. Yeah, and that happened. That's, what, that, like, that's what I was hoping for too. From you know? the lips of babes, yeah, you know, you know, got to get that catechesis in early. You know, it, well, I mean, no, for sure. Uh, she also loves the the coloring book you got her. She was coloring uh, yesterday's yesterday's. Should I humbly story. brag about that purchase? You or should. Not? Yeah, please do. I was, I, I was that, quite that proud was, of that. That one. was me lobbing it up to you. So tell the people about the purchase you got. Uh, your goddaughter. Uh, I believe it was a Christmas present, and I stumbled upon it was the it was a coloring book, I believe, if it my was. memory serves. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it had a particular scene for every uh, gospel passage for the whole liturgical year. Yeah. So she would something she bring it to church. And by that, I mean you bring to church <laughs> and yes, crayons. I, I, I do carry it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I figured yeah. um, that it would be just, you know, pertinent to that day. And then she could, you know, color it in and hopefully understand it on a deeper level. You yeah, know? she did. So, yeah. What was the picture from this past weekend's mass? Well, this past weekend was the 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 story of the woman found Indeed. in adultery. So, yep. um, the so the picture was I mean of Jesus I think like reaching a hand down helping her. Okay. Up, I think is what it was. And then there's a couple of people walking away in the uh, background. Uh, wasn't him drawing in the sand? No, it wasn't him drawing no. in the sand. Okay. No, but uh, um, yeah, she actually at one point I think she she colored. I looked down and she was coloring Jesus's face, but she's using blue, and <laughs> she was using the blue like right around his eyes. It looked like he had a big black eye. <laughs> I looked over at Rachel. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, look at that. She's like, looks like she's got a shiner. I'm like, yeah, a little bit. (laughs) So think about those things. Like you think ever, like when you was a kid, we like tripped and fell, like, and maybe got a shiner. Yeah. Like, you know, maybe, I mean, you should write a, a non-canonical gospel about that. Well, I mean, (laughs) I could, I guess. It's certainly be I don't, non-canonical. I don't know if you could. I feel like I feel like the be highly the vicar speculative. Gen, the, the, the vicar general may oh, step no, in. No, no, no. I mean, you <laughs> could kidding. you could write something speculative. I mean, actually, one of my favorite books about Saint Joseph is called Saint Joseph the Silent. Mm. Or I think it's just called Joseph the Silent. Yeah. Um, but what it is essentially just kind of these meditations, reflections on what may have happened. Ah, uh, you know, that's interesting. No, it's just it's good food Ignatian for Ignatian imagination, yeah, exactly. prayer. Yeah. So, sure. but just just the recognition that it's not. <laughs> we do not know this. Yeah. But. No, it was very good. Yeah. Actually, Bishop gave that to us as a Christmas present one year. Really? Yep. Took it on retreat. It took Joseph on retreat with me, which was great. That's nice. These little reflections. Was he quiet the whole time? 
Um, no, surprisingly. <laughs> well, I, I guess th- that was a couple of years ago, that retreat. Oh. But no, I, I think he, no, I mean, in the midst of my prayer and imagination, I, I felt him speak to me yeah. and focus on a few things. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. It was. It was that's, quite nice. That's very I do nice. remember some of it, so that was good. St. Joseph also had a decent little impact that on he me wasn't, one time. He said, like, silent. I mean, like, it just he's, his words just aren't recorded in scripture. He wasn't a mute his whole life. I mean, <laughs> we don't I know s- that he wasn't. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay. Where's the evidence? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Actually, this is a beautiful reflection <laughs> okay. by Father Jim Rafferty, who's ah, part of the Institute for Priestly Formation. What a good man. The man is, we should call him <laughs> Father Jim Chrysostom. Um, it's just golden <laughs> mouth. golden mouth. He does. <laughs> but he talked about his argument is, um, and this is typically what he does. Kind of, it's not like controversial, but it's provocative. It's like Joseph has spoken in Scripture, and we're all like, "What? No, he didn't. Like, there's no words. Very <laughs> push up the glasses. <laughs> actually, he didn't. No, actually. <laughs> but is <laughs> I do that Wait, a lot to you. Yeah, I, 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 I push you, up my imaginary glasses. Say, you often make fun of me for pushing up my glasses. So I feel like this is a, a veiled commentary oh my on gosh. my disposition. <laughs> Believe it or not, Taylor, it's not all about it's, you. It is. Okay. This is another humble brag. <laughs> But um, this was his argument, which I think was quite beautiful, is that um, obviously Joseph would have an influence on Jesus being his earthly father. And in a sense, when Jesus speaks, it's also Joseph speaking through him because of the influence that he had on him. Mm. That's beautiful. Isn't it? It is. Yep. So I'm not taking credit for it. I gave, gave, but I'm like, man, that's really, really good. Yeah. Really good. It really is. Obviously, he kind of expounded upon that, but that was the the crux of that particular talk. It's very nice. I think it's good. Yeah. So anyway, you were going to say something. You're going to brag about something else, and I cut you off. I don't remember what it was now. No, nah. it must not. Joseph spoke to you. About. He said, "Oh no, I there wasn't. I wasn't. Nah, gonna bra- I wasn't going to brag about that. I was just going to say that. Okay. I think that maybe in our time, we probably should have done it maybe closer to the solemnity of Saint Joseph. <laughs> that would have been a good episode. Well, hindsight is 2020, <laughs> ain't it? But maybe sometime we'll do an episode on Joseph and stuff like that. Probably but, should. Yeah, I think so. We probably should. But maybe we can even get Bishop on here to talk about the year of Saint Joseph and why he did it that way and do something like that that's not a bad idea look at us look at us brainstorming live on Just the podcast yeah, I know. <laughs> you're you're welcome listeners for uh, for letting you into the brainstorming process this is when we have to have like subscribers to give them the inside scoop oh, of what yeah, we're brainstorming yeah. about oh yeah people pay big money for i that. know right <laughs> we'll send you all the google uh, doc drafts <laughs> so you guys can see that so why do you give our secrets away <laughs> That's for premium That's, members. Oh, sorry, premium members. Which essentially only. probably would be our mothers. Yeah, 100% so. <laughs> only our moms. <laughs> ah, God Anyways. bless moms. Indeed. So, <laughs> they are the best. Where are you going for a Holy Week this year, Father? I'm going to be helping out in at St. Nicholas Parish in Freedom. That's awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. You go there a lot, don't you? No. For Holy Week? Oh. No, I ha- never have. Oh, really? I'm, I am the fill-in for His Excellency Bishop Dan Felton. Ah, because when he was still <laughs> part of our lovely diocese, he would also he'd always help out Father Walter there. So he's got two parishes, St. Nicholas and Freedom, as well as St. Edward and uh in uh Macville. Thank you. You're welcome. Um I was gonna say, I don't know I was gonna say St. Edward the Confessor, but I think it's just it's King Edward. But anyway, <laughs> but that so um obviously he he's gone. <laughs> so um they were looking for somebody and I kinda hold and see if there's anybody that actually like if somebody's out or sick, and because that's been the case, kind of with COVID, yeah. through all that people have been out. So um, everything's spoken for. So I was able, to, yeah, I'm happy to do it. So I'm excited for it. I actually, met with some of the the staff there just to talk through the liturgies a little bit. So I think it's going to be wonderful. So that'll be nice. Looking forward to it. That'll yeah, be very nice. Not Easter Sunday though. I'll be somewhere else Easter Sunday. Where so. are you going Easter Sunday? Door County. Really? Yep. Uh, Father Tom Farrell. He's got one parish, five sites slash six if you include Washington Island. Sure. So. He's got a little bit of a yeah, a little bit going on that day. Yep. So I got two of his. I got two of his <laughs> Easter Sunday. Wow. Yeah. So I'm excited for that. It's very nice. Yep. So well, anyway, for the people listening, Holy Week, she's a coming. It is. It's coming quickly. It is. This comes out on Tuesday. You guys are gonna look at your calendar. And go. Oh my gosh, that starts on Sunday, and you're like, yeah, it sure uh-huh. does. <laughs> it sure uh-huh. does. Uh-huh. You better get ready there. or not. <laughs> It'll sneak up on you, and you'll get you. <laughs> then you gotta enter into it, you know, so peacefully. Um, but you know, but also <laughs> good point. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you gotta enter into it. <laughs> oh, we man. also have our a uh, our high school silent retreat coming up called Duke and Altum. Yeah, it's coming up on April eighth through the tenth. 
Um, you guys, uh, if you have sons who are in high school, who are, uh, or if you are in high school and you were thinking about the priesthood, uh, you should sign up. Go to gbvocations.org and right, right on the front page there, there'll be a nice little banner on the top. It'll say Duke and Altum. You click on that bad boy, and it'll take you to the registration page. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a weekend of silence for you to intentionally enter into some prayer and quiet contemplation with some, uh, with some talks. There's opportunity for spiritual. Uh, what do you guys call it? It's not, it's not spiritual direction. Guidance. It's spiritual guidance. Thank you. Spiritual guidance. Confession. Bishop Brickman will be there. To celebrate Mass. Is that? Is that not supposed to be known? Do you want me to cut that out? <laughs> I can I can edit it out later. No. <laughs> Wait, why is that why is that a secret? It's a surprise. Oh. <laughs> uh, you can't tell me anything, head? you know? <laughs> I'll go back and edit it out. <laughs> the second thing we've had to do. All right. So, I gave that secret away. So, we had to do one thing before. But so the Duke and Ultimate Retreat is going to be wonderful. So go to gpvocations.org and sign up on there. It'll be a great time. It's not. A, don't be. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of silence. Don't be afraid of the weekend away. Um, it's just a good time to enter away. We'll be at the Mount Tabor Center in Menasha. So uh, it's again a great time to just pray, just be and pray and being quiet. Anything to add on that, Father Mark? And the whole purpose, of course, is as you said, to enter in, but also to help those whom the Lord may be calling to hear that call, which is a nice little segue into what we're talking about today. Well done. Lobbed it up. Just like how I lobbed up the, uh, the whole Sophia gift Indeed. thing. That was pretty good. So today we are kind of doing a part two episode on the vocation crisis within our, uh, I mean, within the larger church, I suppose, but specifically in the United States and even more specifically in our diocese. So recently, there was a study that came out from the organization called Vocation Ministry. It analyzed the diocese in the U.S. At, and the rate of priestly retirements, ordinations, and how many Catholics were in the diocese. Based on those rates, it made a determination of the individual diocese of being a healthy diocese, borderline healthy, maintaining, or unhealthy. So here's just some of the, the, the healthy criteria points. This is kind of how they were seeing this so we can have a better discussion on it. So there's four points to the healthy criteria. It says ordaining one new priest for every 100,000 Catholics in the diocese per year. Okay, so that, that's the first point. Second mm-hmm. point. <clears throat> Diocese has enough seminarians to support ordinations needed determined in point number one. Okay, so again, for the 100,000 Catholics, per 100,000 Catholics. Point number three, fewer than 15% of priests are extern priests, meaning not incarnated into a diocese, for example, missionary priests. And the fourth point, fewer than 15% of parishes without a resident priest. Okay, so... Based on that, there were 13 dioceses that had that meet or exceed all of those above criteria, so that they mean they're healthy. Then there were 36 dioceses that met the uh, that met the borderline <clears throat> healthy. Then there were 76 that were maintaining, which in parentheses means needs improvement in one or two areas of the above, of the four above criteria. And then there's the unhealthy, and there's 52 dioceses that did that where it got labeled in the unhealthy category. And then here's the four points of the of an un- unhealthy criteria. The first one, not ordaining one new priest for every 100,000 Catholics in diocese per year. Point number one. Point number two, diocese does not have enough seminarians to support ordinations needed determined in point number one. Okay. Point number three, more than 50% of priests are extern priests, meaning they're not incarnate in diocese, again, meaning missionary priests. Four, more than 50% of parishes without a resident priest. Okay, so we can see that there's some some real uh, some real uh, punishments involved in, the, in, in, in being in an unhealthy diocese, right? That there's some real consequences, maybe I should mm-hmm. put that. There's, there's some real punishments involved in being labeled unhealthy because it's showing a decline steadily over time. Um, and people not being cared for, possibly not being cared for by priests, and especially then also painting a picture of priests who are stretched unbelievably thin, unbelievably thin. So the reason why we're bringing this up is because on this data, our diocese of Green Bay was listed as an unhealthy diocese. So we wanted to talk about this and have an honest and frank conversation on the state of priestly vocations and, and some of the things that we can keep doing to address this, to discuss this, and to keep this in the forefront of our minds. So before mm-hmm. we jump into some of our acknowledgement points of what we want to talk about mm-hmm. 
Any initial thoughts, Father Mark? Well, I would probably just, let's just lay it out for the people. So we, we listed the criteria that was used. Yeah. And maybe just it's good for helpful for the people to know, uh, ourselves included, like, you know, why we are listed as unhealthy. So the first one, if you could repeat again. Yep. First one, not ordaining one new priest for every 100,000 Catholics in the diocese per year. Yeah. So rough numbers for the diocese of Green Bay is that we're about 1 million people within the 16 counties of Northeast Wisconsin, of which about a third are Catholic. So if we're looking at, so I mean, it's like 300 some thousand, obviously it's not exactly a third, but those are kind of rough. A million people, about a third are Catholic. So if we use that third, right, 300,000, we should be ordaining three every year. Okay. We are not. Okay. So this upcoming year, we have one young man to be ordained to the priesthood, which unbelievably joyful, rejoicing, grateful for. Absolutely. I I mean, it's not like we could look and be like, okay, well, we're too short. Okay, but... We have a young man that heard the Lord's call that's going to be ordained and serve and serve the faithful. Like, I, I'm beyond overjoyed about that. I, I don't care. I mean, obviously, I wish it was more, but sure. we've got somebody. And that, that's something to certainly rejoice about, something to celebrate. So, um, but we don't have that this upcoming year. Um, and if you go down the line, this is all just kind of public. If we look at our seminarians and years of formation, we're going to have a string of one year uh, for a while. And then if you sort of use the baseball analogy and everything goes well we're, our farm system is strong our, our farm system is strong so we're building up the minors we have to get to the majors so to speak but um so we don't meet that one so that's number one number okay. two number two diocese does not have enough seminarians to support ordinations needed determined in point number one yep so if we're looking at three per year i mean some classes we do but but most we don't at mm-hmm. this point um for those going into that, we would be going into theology next year. Um, we've got one um, going into pre-theology. We would have um, four, so we kind of meet it there, right? Um, so if it's essentially we'd be seeing, you know, averaging three per class, which we which we don't have. Right. Some have over, most have under. Yep. yep. I think it's also good just to kind of I mean kind of take a little pause thought on that too. You know, I think when when a young man enters seminary, um, I mean, like it's a it's a much more intentional time of discernment, right? Like that's what seminary is. It's formation. It's forming for the priesthood. That that that's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. At some point in that in that formation, there's a pretty much a certainty on the part of of the vocation director and the formation team, and oftentimes in the young man that like this is he's going to keep going forward with this, right? But a lot of times it also is is, is just still time for discernment. And we can't also discount, I mean, this is something that we often think about and not factor in, but we do our best to at least keep in the forefront of our minds that there might be guys who, who discern out. And so sometimes when you have a class of perhaps seven guys or eight guys, you look at that class and you say, it's very possible that half of these guys could could discern out of this. But yep. we're we're not sure on that, right? Yep. That's, that's all, we, we are working with the Lord to help yep. these guys pray and discern if this is their call. And there's a variety, a variety, huge variety of reasons why a young man may walk away from from seminary. And those aren't to be shamed or bad or anything like that, but it's good for us to kind of keep that in mind when we're all talking about vocation ministry. Well, I even look at my own class, uh, ordination class. At one point, we were eight guys. Mm -hmm. And um, actually, I heard a priest for a day say, oh, they'll never make it all the way through. I'm like, remember hearing that? It's just like, why would you even say that type of thing? I was sort of like, now he was he was right, <laughs> okay. So probably vindicated in that regard. But we had five of those sure. eight. But Which I mean, I guess part of it is it, it's for the people to know. It's yeah, it's not seen as a loss. It's not seen as a terrible thing. I mean, sometimes a young man will mess up, so to speak. There's this such thing as a dismissal. By and large, most of those that we have are not of that variety. Most mm-hmm. of them come to a point in discernment. But I just mentioned two points along the way that are sort of benchmarks in regards to, as you said, kind of start counting on them, start sure. banking on them, that they'll go through. One's before they enter theology, which is the last four years. The And there's different terms now. So we're going to be up to date. The configuration stage, um, which you're configuring yourself to Christ the shepherd. Um, That's beautiful. There's something called candidacy. So in a sense, it's sort of akin to um, like an engagement. Mm. So they declare candidacy, essentially saying, my intention is to continue on in formation to become a priest of this diocese. And it's the church receiving that intention and, and stamping that and saying, yes, we agree that, to that as well. So um, it's a formal step along the way. It doesn't mean there's no, we're not like signing in blood or anything. Like you can't like discern <laughs> out after, but it is sure. in a very real way, a, a concrete step is in. They enter into that configuration stage. They're going to continue to know who Jesus is. They're going to continue to deepen discipleship. Mm. But now it's it's knowing who Jesus is, but in particular, Jesus the shepherd, that particular ident- sure. identity 
because that's who the priest is called to be. So a candidacy is one of those things um, that's done with bishop. Actually, they make two promises. Um, they'll continue to do so. Um, the second thing is usually this is sort of unofficial, but after that second year of the configuration stage, there's something that's, I kind of use the term, this was from my own time in seminary, the presumption of permanence. That at that point, you've probably been in formation for at the very least, if not five years, that you've been living the celibate life. You've been living a life of prayer, envisioning yourself, praying, sorry, envisioning yourself as a priest, praying, that you have this presumption of permanence. Even though there would be two more years of formation left, the presumption is that I'm going to permanently live my life like this. Right. So another thing that's a little more unofficial, but that's definitely what I'm looking for as a vocation director. I imagine seminaries are as well. That there is that that presumption there. That can be kind of used as a bad word. But I mean, that the understanding is like, no, the Lord's calling to this. I feel comfortable. The church feels comfortable. We're going to keep going. Now, the work's not done, hmm? but things are going well, and presumably things will, will go well. Right. So I just mentioned that for what it's worth. But yeah. 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 So, and I think I mean we'll we'll get to this later when it comes to especially for for prayer. Um, but that's I mean a huge reason why like when we talk about praying for our seminarians, like I think sometimes m- maybe that f- doesn't fall necessarily on deaf ears, but maybe people aren't taking it to heart of like what we're really praying for. What we're praying for is for the is for grace to be poured upon these uh, the, these young men in their hearts that they can continue to say yes. That there's this, this is a continual gift from the Lord to keep on saying yes to the deepening of this life that that He's hopefully calling them to, and so that. Like that's really what we're praying for a lot, and we're praying for our seminarians that they can keep on having the strength needed and the grace needed to keep moving forward in this. Mm-hmm. So, so um, that was number two. Yeah, that was number two. So let's look at number three. <clears throat> More than fifty percent of priests are extern priests. Again, the parenthetical note here is that that means they're not incarnated into the into the our diocese. It's for for an example, missionary priests in our diocese serving the people. Yep. So a lot of times we use the term international priests, yep. but um, I just mentioned that you know. <laughs> You kind of talking about sports. There's no free agent priests. Okay, you have to either belong to a religious <laughs> order or to a diocese. Yeah. Okay, you can't just be sort of like, oh, we're going to trade this one for this one. I mean, it's not it's not that easy, right? Yeah, that would seem um, like an interesting like. Uh, can we uh, get like five it, seminarians for this priest? Can you imagine? Can you just, like, oh if you're the bishop, who's like ordaining guy, he's like, all right, uh, go have fun. You, yeah. you you go find your diocese, it's buddy. Like, so so yeah, we use that's the, not how that works. No, so they are missionary priests. We we usually use the term international priests here. So um. That one, they're not more than 50% than our priests. So we've got 68 active diocesan priests for the Diocese of Green Bay. Mm. Um, I don't quite know the number of international priests, but I think it's in the 20s. Okay. Um, it's been growing over the last couple of years because of the need. So um, there are quite a few, and some maybe listening maybe have an international priest. And I always say, God bless these guys. They left Absolutely. a world they knew, um, family, a culture, language to come here. And preach the gospel. I mean, that's if that's not conviction, I, I don't know what is. So we're very grateful for those priests uh, that have come to do that. So, um, so on that third point, though, yeah, I I might begin the number of international priests wrong, but, but it's not 50%. it's not it's not fifty percent. Sure. And I do think too. I mean, even the taking a step back again to realize when you when when you, if you call them missionary priests, you have to have some kind of an acknowledgement of that. That means that the our diocese is in some way mission territory, which we believe all dioceses are mission territory. It's our mission territory. We are called to go out and preach the gospel and evangelize. So we don't want to reduce these terms. We also have to then come to a certain acknowledgement that that means that in order to minister to our faithful, we need missionaries to come here. Um, and which, the, again, a beautiful thing, but it also is kind of a little heartbreaking that, that, that that's a need of ours in order to, to have that. So there's kind of a both and thing here. We don't want to reduce these missionary priests. They, oh, it's so sad that they're here because it's a beautiful thing that they're here and that, that they're serving the people of God who who need the Eucharist, who need mm-hmm. confession, who need the sacraments, who need to encounter the Lord Jesus Christ. But at the same time, we can also acknowledge that there's a certain sadness involved in that because we want to ensure that mm-hmm. we can that we can support ourselves with vocations, that we can yep. be producing these vocations through our devotion to the Lord and through our prayer, that we are willing to say yes to God's call in this way. So mm-hmm. there is a sadness involved in that, which I think is okay to recognize. Again, we don't want, again, it's not to diminish their role, but it is rather for us to recognize the reality of the place that we're in. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So the fourth point. Number four. More than 50% of parishes are without a resident priest. Hmm. So that's a good one. I don't know if I know the exact number on that, but depending on how they're viewing that. So for instance, we brought up uh, Freedom in Macville, right? At the beginning of this. So Hmm. one priest for both of them. So he lives at St. Nicholas in Freedom, so he does not live in Macville. So assuming under the criteria of their, what, of their research, 
Macville would be listed of not having a resident priest. Right. Does that sound right to I, you? I would think so. So yeah. that that one might be interesting because, as as many people may know, I mean, most priests have multiple parishes, yep. and obviously they're only living at one of them, or um, they happen to have a parish that has, like you mentioned for Father Tom Farrell, a one yep. parish has five worship sites. So it's a yep. it's a decent sprawl of an area, not yep. just like a little. Yep. A little country no, church exactly. kind of and, thing. And, yeah. and the further north you get, oftentimes, the, the more spread out it is. Right. I mean, I've done some coverage, which I enjoyed immensely, in Goodman, uh, Armstrong Creek, and, and Florence. And so that there's three there, but he only right. lives at one. So I, 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 that's a good, I guess I'd be interesting to see, but I mean, we might we might make that one, mm-hmm. depending upon assuming that if they assume, you know, if the priest right. isn't living there, that doesn't count as a resident. But it is a little close, though, too. How, how many parishes do we have? We have 156 56. parishes, yep. and we we have 68 yep. diastin priests. So, active. I mean, active diastin priests, yep. and, and plus the missionary priests in there, too. So, I mean, it is it is getting close, right? Like, Well, it's, but you have to look at it, though. Like, it. I, I'm an active priest, but I'm not in a parish. That is true. Okay. So there's so there are active Adam. priests yeah, okay. that are not Luke. in okay. parishes. Yeah, that so. makes sense, too. Yeah. So that kind of, not to get too bogged down with the numbers, right, but right. it's the reality. But but again, I do think, though, it's good for us to point out that this doesn't really paint a, a, a healthy picture, right? No, and no. That's, no. <laughs> which, is, which is why, we're, I mean, we're not disputing no, no, the, the result, the conclusion. Not. And it falls under unhealthy for a reason. And um, I do think before we get into some of the kind of like, well, what can we do to address these things? Um, it's good to recognize too when we say one priest for a hundred thousand Catholics. I mean, I mean, if I mean, think <laughs> let, about it. I mean, let that sink yeah, in. Yeah, let that sink let that in sink for in. a moment. Of one priest for one hundred thousand Catholics. That's like one priest for the city of Green Bay. Yeah, Green Bay is like a hundred and five thousand. Might have yeah. gone up a little bit. Can you imagine one priest for one. all the souls? One in the city of Green Bay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, we're talking, we're we're talking on a human level here of this, but we're also talking on kind of on a fatherly level too. I mean, that's insane to think that a priest could properly be a spiritual father to one hundred thousand people. It's impossible. I mean, like, and like the Lord. I mean, part of the grace of ordination is is the strength to be able to continue to say yes mm-hmm. to the things demanded of a priest, right? A priest also has human limitations, and we can't, we cannot discount those human limitations. And so, we need to recognize that that, in and of itself, is astronomically difficult to do. Well, I would even say one priest doesn't have enough for all the souls in his parish. Often not. I mean, we're we're sitting here recording at Saints Peter and Paul in Green Bay. I, yep. I mean, Father Jose does not have the yeah. time, the energy to to. I mean, to all this, I don't know how many souls that are here. Yep. You know, just in his parish, but priests don't even have for all just in the parish assigned to them. Right. You know, it's just. It's just a lot, yeah. Because <laughs> we don't have enough priests. Yep. What's the solution to that? Um, put put very simply, you know, more shepherds, more yep. people to carry the load, so to speak. Yeah. And I do think that before we kind of get into more of some of our like kind of suggestions and what we can be doing to help address some of these things, um, we need to acknowledge a couple of things for out of the get go here. So the first one. Jesus Christ always was and always will be in control of his church. We need to always recognize that, that we are stewards of his church. We are the body of Christ. We, we make up the church. But Jesus Christ is still the head of his church, and we always need to keep that in mind. He promised to remain with us at the end of Matthew's gospel until the end of the age. And the same gospel, he also promised never let the, 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 the gates of netherworld prevail against her. So we need to recognize those things out the gates. We have to maintain trust in Jesus Christ as the head of our church. And as, as providing us with what we need, provided we have the ability to receive what he wants to give. So I think that's kind of a good way to look at this. Is that it's a he, great way to look he, at it. He wants to give us these things, and he is giving us these things. The, the, the grace to be able to say yes, he's given us the sacraments, given us priests. But we have to also be able to look interiorly and say, am I am I in a place where I can, I'm properly disposed to receive that 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 grace. I mean, it's no different than the the, the parable of the sower. I mean, there's seed there's seeds scattered all over the place, and is it falling on rich ground? Or is it falling amongst thorns and being choked out by our own sinfulness? We need to recognize those things. So, second point. There is no silver bullet answer to this question, but rather one according to the whole. Okay, there's one that there's always these different kind of things playing into this, right? I mean, this is the this is the question of um, how do we make more disciples? How do we how do we get people to be more properly disposed to the reception of the sacrament? How do we get people to come to mass? How do we get people to come to mass? I uh, I think it's a mental game we play with ourselves that we really do believe that there is a silver bullet answer that like if we just did this one thing this would this would make everything go away. Mm-hmm. 
I think if we did that thing and a couple other things, the problem would be at least the pressure would be relieved a little bit. Right? Sure. So we, we don't sure. want to discount those things as being, oh, there's not, it's not going to work because there is no silver bullet. But we want to recognize that this is a complicated issue, one that we can't just say, do this, problem fixed. The third point, given that last point I just made, that does not abdicate our responsibility from acting and working to make this better. So I think with that, let's get into it. So the first thing, we need to take some responsibility in addressing this. So um, Bishop often tells the priest, I've heard him mention it at clergy congress, I've heard him mention it a couple of times in different talks, that the priest can decide to a certain degree when this problem is over. Um, because they have an, impo- an incredibly important role in mentoring young men to essentially replace them, right? Mm-hmm. To, to bring them in, into the priesthood, or at least help them discern the priesthood. So we know from our own statistics that we've kind of gathered over time that the role of the priest, particularly the pastor, plays a huge role in discernment. It's enormous in how that how that happens. And so we, the people of God, need to take responsibility for those things that we need to be able to do to say we want more priests and so we are going to try to help make that happen so i think priests have a particularly important role in passing on at least helping other young men to discern priesthood any thoughts on that before we it jump is in? I, I would just make a little bit of a correction because it, it's it's and at least in our research it's not so much the pastor it's been an, another another priest, another priest other than right their, sure yeah but i mean the point being is that um you know when it comes to a vocation the call comes from the lord uh, I've never called anybody to the priesthood. Nope. And I, and I really hope no one's ever like, because of Father Mark or whatever. Now, I certainly hope and I pray, and, and not in a, in a humble way, and I truly mean that, that in some way, the example that I've led and an example of many priests have helped people to think about it or hear a call. Right. But it never comes from me. I guess I look at my own example, and I've, I'm sure I've talked about him before, but my, my childhood pastor, Father Cease, um, had a huge impact. Now, he never called me to the priesthood. But his example of selfless giving, of being present, um, just being steady as she goes, I mean, there's no doubt that it had a huge impact right. in my hearing of the call. So um, having a good example is 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 huge, and we've seen that. But it's been a little bit of a, a distinction between the parish priest and a priest from another thing. So we kind of make that distinction because oftentimes we've seen some of our seminarians, when they went to college, the chaplain that they've had on mm. campus have had huge impact on them. Now, obviously, they're probably a little bit more involved there, you know, because they're studying, they're living there, than their parish priest. So, just a little bit of that. But um, the point being, the point being, is that priests have a huge role. And um, when Bishop says that, I mean, it's certainly true to a certain extent that we yep. make this, you know. But I guess in some way too, I want to be able to, you know, let the people know because this is something that's kind of come to me in the last couple of weeks. It's you know, the priests that we have, they're working hard. Right. They're pouring themselves out, um, trying to do as much as they can for the people. And they're doing it for the people. And I know the people appreciate it. But here's the, the shadow side, to kind of use the Bishop Felton term. <laughs> because priests have been pouring them out so much, I don't think people see the lack, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Because they're doing as much as they can. They're, they're, they're burning the candle on both ends. People don't see the lack of priests because, oh, yeah, well, he still came to this. He still came to that. Yeah. But but what did he give up to do that? And right. I'm not trying to look for, like, sympathy or anything, but they don't feel the hurt. Right. They don't feel the lack because their priests have been so good in doing that. Yep. And so what am I saying? That's not that I'm advocating for priests to just, you know, not do that. But it, it's the reality. Like, people, I don't, I just don't know if the faithful have felt it. I, I think some in the rural, because unfortunately, and I came from a rural area, I think they feel it more than anybody because oftentimes, and this is just, you know, you look at it. This is where a lot of our international priests have been uh, sent to. So I think they feel a little bit more. But um, but our priests have been really good, and they've been very busy. So um, that's not an excuse, mm-hmm. but it's a reality. <clears throat> but I just, I hope the people recognize it's like, because I, I know there's so many good priests, and I, I'm sure you can look at your own and you have a good priest. But I just don't, th- you know, unless people feel it, I don't know if, It'll really sink in, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. It does, and I think that that falls, again, under the heading of taking responsibility for this because a long time ago we did an episode on fatherhood, like one of our first ones on fatherhood, I think, and I pulled some data from like the, 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 the National Ad Council and how they were putting up these billboards and this big ad campaign for for fathers to be present. They were they were called like dedication instead of dedication, that kind of stuff, right? Because I think as a society we were feeling the pinch 
of a lack of fathers in our world. And like when there's a lack of fathers, we do see ramifications of that in society. In the same way, as a church, we 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 can't shy away from from making making present, making real the 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 pinch of priests not being able to be at all places and help and help shepherd these souls. So I, I think you're absolutely right in the sense that if we don't feel the pinch of, of priests not being around, we're not going to really maybe not buy into this as much. Exactly. And I do think also too here, we also <laughs> being that being a, a Christian means you are incorporated into Christ. And if you're incorporated into Christ means you're a part of his body. And the, the theology of being part of Christ's body is rich. And so far Christ identifies himself with his body. He does it in acts of the apostles. And Paul then also speaks both the, the riches of the body, right? And how, you know, a hand can't say I'm not part of the body. I'm not a foot, that whole theology there. To say that, well, I don't feel the pinch of priests not being around, therefore this is as big of a deal for me, mm-hmm. is to re- is to in some way say, I don't care about the hand on the other side of, of my body mm-hmm. because I, I, I'm fine on this hand over here. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem. Like mm-hmm. that, is a, that is an intrinsic problem in, in, in our church that we, we can't just say, well, I'm good. Like I have a priest, I'm good mm-hmm. because that might not be the case for a long time, especially if numbers keep going in the way that this unhealthy diocese thing is pointing us towards. So we have to take responsibility for for helping young men say yes to the call and yeah. be praying for this. I don't want to ever get to the point where it's like, I'm sorry, we don't have a priest for you. Yeah, and, and like, which is a real possibility. Well, there, <laughs> there's a parish I, I can remember that you know was not assigned a priest for the first time I think in their history, and, and they were sort of up in arms. I'm like, what do you mean? It's just like. But they felt it then. But that's oh, yeah. what it took, though, is that they felt. I don't want, I don't want to get to that point. But it seems like unless it does, people don't feel the pinch. I don't want to just say like the people out there. I don't mean that in such a negative way, sure. type of thing. But but you're right, though. It's like you know, I don't want to get. I don't want it to get to that point. Yep. You know, we have to we have to be able to, to do this before that. And, and part of this, I go around on the weekends. I I try to share it with them. I don't want to sound too you know, cloudy or jury or whatever, but it's like, listen, these are the numbers. Yep. But then again, I, I feel like sometimes it's like, yeah, but in their mind, like, well, we have a priest. So, I, you know, because part of it is the Free App Prayer Society, which I'm sure we'll talk about the importance yep. of prayer. Um, But it's just like, I, I don't know what it will take, yeah. so to speak. Uh, I, I do what, I know one thing that would hit home, but I don't want to get to that point. Sure. You know, that, <laughs> yeah. that's the thing. Yeah. So. And like, and like, we're not saying here that, um, we're not, we're not, we're not trying to paint a picture here of, well, we really want this to happen so that people are are feeling oh, no. the pinch. No, I mean, I obviously, we, we don't want that by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but we also are a, a, a universal church, and so we, we can't forget that we have a responsibility to our brothers and sisters who are feeling the pinch of this mm-hmm. already. And people in our diocese, in the Diocese of Green Bay, not in some distant country where, the, where, where Christianity's been outlawed or something like that. Yep. We're feeling it here, right now, in our diocese. And so we need to recognize that. Um, and, then, and then if you do have a priest, to be grateful that you have yep. a priest and then be supporting that priest in a, in a huge variety of ways. Not least of which is obviously being present at Mass and attending the sacraments, asking for prayer, and being present at prayer and praying for that priest, but also then seeing how you can help that priest, mm-hmm. even if it's inviting more for dinner once in a while, yep. of like offering up time of, of respite to get away from just the the, mm-hmm. the, the day-to-day aspect mm-hmm. of these things. Those, those are very important. Yeah, Pri- Priests aren't perfect, and I, the reason I say it is because I know from my own example, but like priests want to be a father to their people, yeah. but when you have three parishes, it's awfully hard to do that. Yeah. It's not from a lack of will. It's not from a lack of desire. It's just a. It's just the situation. So I think it hurts. It's hard for the people, but I think it hurts from a priestly heart as well. You want to be a father to every single soul in there, but like I said, when you when you find the situation, I'm yeah, three parishes across. You know how many miles? It just makes it awfully difficult, and that's hard for the priest yep. because his priestly heart, which the Lord has configured, which the Lord has changed at ordination, wants to be a father. Yep, a spiritual father to him. But the situation doesn't allow it to do it in the way that he would probably want to. Right. I do think also then here, so you mentioned, I mean, the priests being witnesses, right? Of like witnessing to the holiness of, the, of their vocation. They're not the mm-hmm. ones calling, but they're the ones who are witnessing to, to the holiness of, the, of that vocation. A good point to make here is that holy vocations beget other holy vocations, meaning mm-hmm. that they often help spur those things into reality. So families play a massive role in addressing the, the this priestly problem. So a holy family, not a, not uh 
I wouldn't say just holy families, but maybe across the board here, holy families will make holy priests. And like, that's how we see it. Like, so of course there are exceptions to this because God is merciful and he's not defeated by broken families. Like God is not defeated by, by broken families, but his grace is also received according to the disposition of the receiver and holy families help their children to receive the gift of God's grace. Mm-hmm. They, they witness to the holiness and the goodness of marriage. Um, uh, and then that should then in turn be a, be a, a sign of the relationship between Christ and his church. And if that's the sign for Christ and his church, then that means that that hopefully a young man's heart will be more open to to loving the church as Christ does and giving mm-hmm. his life as a priest. And so they stand as witnesses to the faith of how they pray, how they speak about the church and her priests, how they receive the sacraments and teach their children to do the same. They live a liturgical life. They teach their children to pray. And letting your children see you pray is huge because again, holy families make holy priests. And so families have a massive, massive role in helping to address this problem. And I, I would say I would use, you know, my own family as an example. I don't know if we would paint ourselves as a particularly holy family. Um, but we were a faithful family. Sure. Meaning that, yep, we went to mass every weekend. It really wasn't a matter of debate or discussion. We were at four o'clock on Saturday. I I can still remember, like at two forty five, two forty five, my mom yelling at all us to take a shower and like <laughs> we had to get ready for mass and stuff. Like we'd have like five minute showers, which is you know I just I still remember that. But like so we were we were a faithful family. Um, we would pray the rosary on Sundays in Lent, which I I <laughs> disliked immensely <laughs> as a child, but but I'm immensely grateful now. Yeah. Um, you know, pray before meals, pray before bed. So I don't I don't. I don't mean I don't think we were a particularly holy family. We were a faithful family. But here's another thing which I kind of think back on. It was sort of a joke, but maybe it wasn't. My younger brother was always kind of pegged as the priest. I don't know why, but he was always like, "Oh yeah, he's going to be the priest." We're sort of like offering him up, like, "Well, someone's got to do it." So like, here you go. But I wonder how much back in the day that was the case when families were quite large. There was sort of an understanding or assumption that that one of the children would have a religious vocation or that would serve the church as sort of a gift from the family mm. to the church. And like I said, it, it was a joke for us because it's like, I, you can ask my, my younger brother, like he he was the one pegged. I mean, I don't, was there anything like particularly right. holy about it? it just sort of, I think it was more of a joke, but at least it was in our mind that like somebody was talking about, about like, vocation. Exactly. Right, yeah. Yeah, I still remember one priest that we were finishing mass and he was waving his arms as my dad was driving off with the minivan. He's like, don't hit me, don't hit me, I'm an endangered species. <laughs> and my dad, he's like, well, I got three boys in the back. He opened up the you know automatic door. He looked at all of us, and he's like, I think they'll all be in prison. <laughs> they walked away. <laughs> but like, sort of like, but even like that, my dad in that sense, like, well, I got three here. Like, it was it was an openness to right. it. Um, even if it was never explicitly spoken about, even if it wasn't, it wasn't explicitly like prayed about intentionally, yeah. there was still like in the thought of our minds that, okay, someone was going to be a priest. Yep. I don't know. For what I think, worth. I mean, even the, even your dad's willingness to a certain degree, and this is, I mean, it sounds kind of morbid, so I don't want to come <laughs> off that way, but your dad's willingness to offer up one of his children yep. to be a priest. I mean, mm-hmm. like that, that willingness on the part of a parent to be able and open and willing to say yes to helping foster that vocation in their children is yep. huge because, again, the way a parent speaks about the church to their children is going to matter in the mm-hmm. long run. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a, a crude analogy. It's coming off the top of my head, so I apologize. This we're, whole podcast we're, 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 top we're here. We're here. We're hearing. No, it doesn't. Because remember, we, Holy are, we, we want our premium members to be able to. Do so. But here in Green Bay, we obviously have the Green Bay Packers. If if there's a, a a child who has a different love or has a love for a different team than than their parents, which does happen sometimes, it is sadly it is it is not common, right? But like, but if if you're a parent who came here from like, if you have family from Texas, so, so you're a Cowboys fan or whatever it might be. The chances of your kids being a Cowboys fan are astronomically higher. Why? Because you show you love and care about that team. You show a certain devotion to that team. And, like, you speak highly of it. You might be critical once in a while, but you, but they can sense your devotion to that team. And so it passes on so naturally. And so sometimes you wonder when it comes to the, the, the faith of families, am, am I really... Am I really loving the church? Am I really having showing this devotion to my children so that they can't imagine a life a separate from the church? So much so that sometimes that even fosters that, that that priestly vocation of like I would love to give myself in 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 this role because you see 
the priesthood or the religious life as a beautiful thing and mm-hmm. and you've and you've fostered that within your children like i i often make jokes and i don't think rachel appreciates it about uh, about sophia and ava joining the convent right or, well, or becoming the, sisters that's what but, my family was but doing I, like i would love i would love to see that and if they came to me and said i'm, I'm discerning a, I, I would like to think about becoming a, a sister or a nun no part of my heart would sink and go oh oh no but what about me or what about us no like we need to we need to foster this within our children yeah. of saying beautiful Yes, go if you if the Lord is calling you there, you hear him calling you, you respond, speak, Lord, your servant is listening, yeah. and you go and you say yes to what he's calling you to yep. do. And so there's something unbelievably important about how parents are helping their children pray. And like I'm not saying that like, oh, this is all your fault. This is because I'm pointing at myself here as well. Mm-hmm. I'm raising children in the faith. And so we need to recognize within ourselves how can I how can I foster this differently within my own family mm-hmm. first and foremost because that's the domestic church that's where it begins that's where society begins is right there in the family so how can we help that how can our family be a part in helping spread this further within the peripheries nothing else on that no I mean you're, <laughs> you're, good. you're no, spot it's... on I mean it, it's just it's the reality like I said it's this is what we need to be doing this isn't a you know shame on everybody type of thing it's like this is just this we need to point out what do we do to right the ship yep we've laid out i think in a, in a good sense this is the state of it what are we going to do yep. how are we going to respond yeah and these things that we've offered I, I really hope that's what it is and just to you know kind of put this in because as i do preach on the weekends about that my response to this at least on my part because i don't have a family not raising children is to invite people to pray yep i i, I can't tell you this is i'm wrapping up four years in this office i how much I rely upon prayer, the prayers of people. I mean, I do my work. I, I do. I mean, in the sense, I do what's asked of me to do. But not only that, I, I love doing this. But if something is not backed by a prayer, it's just bound to fail. Um, I, I put more confidence in the prayers of people than, than my own work. And I'm not saying, like, I'm not trying to poo-poo. That's not trying to be some, you know, bad humility thing. But it means we're bringing the Lord into these things. So people praying that that hopefully I'm guided by the Holy Spirit, reach out who I need to, to walk with who I need to. Um, that through those prayers, they're awakening hearts. So part of it is the Fiat Prayer Society, that this is one of these ways that we can own it. This is a very concrete step. It, it, it's prayer. It's a pledge to pray, to right the ship in the right direction. So part of it when I go to the, to the parishes is to invite those into it. We, we don't always get a whole lot of people. And, I, you know, maybe it's just because they don't turn in the cards because we want to be able to pray for you. Maybe they're doing it and just we don't know about it, which I hope is the case. But, um we're about 260 strong. We probably need to be a couple thousand strong. <laughs> and yep. so we're coming up on a year of that. I just really want to encourage it might be something to really kind of push again. Like, can you imagine if you have thousands of people praying daily, weekly, and offering their Holy Communion monthly, the, the impact that, that that will have? Yeah. I just, I'm, that's why I'm, I'm hopeful in the midst of all this. But it's just, it takes us making that concrete decision. We want to write this ship because I want a priest. Yep. I want a priest to hear my confessions. I want a priest to offer mass for me, uh, to receive the Eucharist. I want a priest there when I'm I'm passing from this life into the next. And guess what? I do too. Yeah, I do too as yeah. a priest. You Selfishly, yep. I don't do this for myself. I can't conf- I can't forgive my sins. I can't anoint myself. I want a priest, and I need a priest just as much as anybody else does. Mm-hmm. And so I do pray. I'm a member, and I'm like you know. I just, we need, we need more to do so. So another little plug. Yeah. GBVocations.org, Fiat Prayer Society. Sign up and please, please pray. Because that's going to do more work than just this one priest and, and Father Adam and myself and, and you in the office. We, like I said, we do our work and, and, and we work hard, um, humbly, uh, humble brain. Yeah. <laughs> but if everybody's praying, that's going to, that's what's going to push it uh, yeah. even further. Yeah. So if, if you want to find that, go to GBVocations.org forward slash F. PS, that's for Fiat Prayer Society. Um, you can sign up online. You can then, um, and again, there's there's no fees. There's no admission. Like, like no meetings, no, 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 nothing like that. No, no, no. I mean, Father Mark will send out a monthly email giving an update on um, on our seminarians. Sometimes on different things that we're doing, the what to pray for, and also a reminder again. This is another thing that we can be doing is to offer your Holy Communion once a month for an increase of yeses to the vocation of priesthood and religious life in our diocese of Green Bay. Um, we, we, we can't discount 
the, the, the graces that come from that alone. So when you receive Holy Communion and you're walking back to your pew and, and the Lord is still w- within you right there substantially, to be able to to be able to say, Lord, I offer this Holy Communion for it, for outpouring of your grace to be able to say yes to the vocation of, of the priesthood. So we want people to be able to do that for sure. Another thing we can do is, uh, kind of wrapping up here, is that another thing, again, show support for priests in, by including them w- within your family lives. Invite them over to dinner, to sporting events, to celebrations happening, whatever it might be. The priest might not be able to make it again as we said they're busy because they're trying to they're trying to foster or they're, they're trying to they're do the work trying of to shepherd yeah they're yeah. trying to do the shepherd all these people but even that alone will help witness then the priestly life is is important to you and to your family. Um, it will it will be not abnormal to your children to have priests around in their lives, the, cheering them on, celebrating their accomplishments or their milestones, whatever it might be. So ma- make sure you're doing those things as well and foster that 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 loving uh, relationship with with those priests. Another thing you can be doing um, is to encourage young men you think could have a call and to, to discern. Don't go up to that young man and say, I think you're call I think you're supposed to be a priest. You should be praying about this. Now I might scare him a little bit. But as you get to know him, as you see a young man praying, just even ask him, have you thought about priesthood before? Like have, have, are you discerning that? Well maybe you should, you know, and then just start praying about it. And then even offering them your Fiat Prayer Society card and then asking us for another one. It's just something like that. We'll happily give those away. We got plenty. And we got plenty of them in order to help foster that 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 prayer life. And then finally if you're a young man and you what when it comes to discerning, want deep within your own heart to do what God wills you to do. If you have that want, if you have that desire in your heart to do what God wills you to do, then first be holy and seek sanctity in your own life. Second, ask the Lord directly if he desires you to be a priest. Then God will teach you and he will lead you and he will do so slowly. The answer might come to you and you, you might feel a resounding, I want to be a priest. But this is not, you're not just going to be admitted to the priest of the next day. This is, a, this is a slow process intentionally because that's how God forms his people is slowly and intentionally. He teaches them in order to in order to draw them closer within his heart. So he will do the same thing for you personally. And if you're willing to say yes to that that discernment, we promise you that not only, if, if you're not ordained a priest, you will come out a better man and you will be a man that can serve the church in a different way so make sure you're praying for an outpouring of priests that you're willing to sacrifice your own children to, to to the good of the church by saying that by by saying i want my children to actively discern these things and supporting them in that discernment and letting them guide the conversation a little bit father mark anything to add before we close here no we threw a lot in there but, we did. It, but it's <laughs> important but it's important though yeah it's very important so this might have been a little bit more somber i guess i'm not sure but i mean this is this is hugely important. I guess this is our bit, so to speak, because this is our office. So I may be a little bit biased, but this truly is our greatest need. Mm-hmm. So we need to be putting all our efforts and be very intentional because this is our greatest need. I agree. Would you mind closing us in prayer and giving us a blessing? Not at all. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Dear Lord, you are so good to us. You give us so many good gifts day in and day out. And one of the greatest gifts that you have given to us The greatest gift is your son, Jesus, and from there, his representative, the priests, that stand in his place, that minister to your people, that love your people in your name, that serve your people in your name, that pour themselves out for your people in your name. Bless our priests. Strengthen them with your grace to do your work, the work that you've entrusted to them. Bless the faithful as they receive from the priests all that you give to them. May they pray for them. And may all of us recognize that great need, that we need more to hear the call and to say yes, to serve us, to strengthen us, to bring us to heaven to be with you. May us that Mary intercede for us in this and all things. May she be a mother to the faithful, to our priests, to us all. And we make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you very much, Father Mark, for your insights on this. For those people who are listening, please continue to to share this episode, especially with maybe people in your parish, with your parish priest. Get it out there. Help people listen so they they can see how we address these issues within our church. Um, But as you pray for priests and as you discern your uh, your own vocation, may you always be keeping the end in mind.